0: You haven't podcasted in a while. Um,
1: I've been on like defenders, but that's about all I've done. I think. Okay. Yeah,
0: I Let took I took a break too. <laughs> I kind of wanted my weekends for myself, but yeah. now I'm now I'm ramping up again. I got stuff. Well, we're gonna do the commentary on Saturday, and that no, not this Saturday, next Saturday, the twenty seventh. But next Sunday I've got hooplecast and then I signed up for two episodes of Intro to X. But I don't think they're till end of February, March maybe. So, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> oh, then we scheduled another. We scheduled Spartacast too for like someday.
1: So nice not having any commitments on Sunday. mm Hmm. I should do work today. I've got. Emails I could read. (laughs) (laughs) I've got Overwatch that I could be playing. (laughs) I've gotten so addicted to that game. It's like every single day almost. Except this week, I kind of... It was a light week there. I think I went two whole days where I didn't play.
0: I've been playing a lot of Guild Wars. That's what I play. (laughs) (laughs) I like to play something else, but...
1: mm. That's what I was thinking, like, I was reading this um, tweet thread or something, where this guy was talking about how he kind of feels guilty about you know his backlog. He plays pretty much the same game every day, which causes him to feel guilty about not working on his backlog. And I kind of feel the same way sometimes, but I shouldn't. I should just play what I want to play.
0: Yeah, play what you feel like playing. Uh, I find it hard to start new games. Because you have to learn new mechanics. You have to learn it's like it takes a while to get into some games sometimes.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh there's like a hill you have to climb up and hopefully it's not not too steep, but sometimes it is. Sometimes you you know, you like when I started playing Ori in the Blind Forest, it's like I hated it for the first two hours. But then by the time I got like to hour number ten, I was like, I'm kinda just dragging this out. Like I could have ended this, but I kinda wanna keep playing.
1: So I was with Ori, but I never got past that two-hour point where I started to enjoy it, I guess. I started yeah. it twice.
0: It depends on your – I mean, it depends on the abilities you unlock. Once you start unlocking stuff, you're like, oh, I can finally reach that area I couldn't before. Or I could do this cool new thing. And at the beginning, I think it, they're just too slow in giving you the, the skills that you, you want as fast as you want. Yeah. Anyway well, this is Spartacast.
1: <laughs> 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 we're back or I guess it depends yeah, on what we nearly never went anywhere. <laughs> to uh we're doing a bonus episode today. We're discussing the documentary Be Here Now, the Andy Whitfield story. Which we streamed, I would guess I guess both of us probably streamed it on Netflix. It's on Netflix right yeah. now. Yes. Um it, I didn't do the normal format like I normally do. So, uh, do you have any uh, fun facts? Or the fun facts about fun? <laughs> fun facts
0: about cancer. Uh, do you have any no.
1: facts? Any research? Sorry, Oops. no.
0: I did. I did do research, but the, the research I was looking into was related to alternative medicine. What what we Westerners call alternative medicine. What I suppose uh, if you. Live in India, you might actually call mainstream medicine. I don't know. Uh, I I went to I went to PBS because that's the when I typed in in, in Bing, you know, about what was it was called uh, Ayurvedic medicine. I wanted to know you know any controversies, any opinions. What is the what does the medical profession in the West think of of this kind of medicine, of this kind of treatment? And I couldn't find a lot, actually, because I, I believe the the opinion right now is we don't know. And that's a problem because we don't have enough information to say something works or something doesn't work. So I went to – I found this uh, site, PBS uh, Frontline, you know, Frontline uh, documentary series. Yeah. They did a, a whole hour on alternative medicine, and it's called The Alternative Fix. And I wanted to watch the entire thing. And it looked like from the website I could, but every time I clicked on the the link to watch a segment, it it gave me not an error, but it, it created this pop up window that said I need to have Windows Media Player or Real Player installed. Oh, like wow. who uses who uses Real Player? Like that's who
1: uses that's so, media
0: player anymore. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no one. These are outdated uh, media delivery devices that that no one uses or should be using i I downloaded real player uh i guess it's still a thing but i couldn't get the videos to play it i i went into like the the code of the website found the actual links to the video files i don't think they're on the servers anymore so i couldn't watch it uh (laughs) but i found on youtube a panel in response to it And they showed about 20 minutes of the 50-minute program. So I watched 20 minutes of it and then watched a panel of doctors and one was like an alternative medicine practitioner uh, discussing, discussing alternative medicine and getting questions from the audience. And... It was pretty interesting. And then I watched Penn and Teller's Bullshit, a 30 minute program from Showtime about alternative medicine. Although that was really like wackadoo stuff. That was, uh, magnets and reflexology of like hitting people in the feet and stuff. Like that wasn't quite acupuncture or this, uh, Ayurvedic treatment that we saw Andy Whitfield. He, he goes to India and gets mud. It looks like mud poured on his forehead. <laughs> And I wanted to know, uh, you know, the benefits of that. Are there any proven benefits? Like, I don't, it looks weird. I don't care that it looks weird as long as it's clinically tested and proven to work. Like, don't, I, I, that's all I need to know. Like, how many studies have been done? Can you replicate results? Can you show results, demonstrate results? So far, no. So that's what I kind of learned when I dug into, into that. And also some of the, the, I don't know what would you call them uh liquids or medicines the things that they put on the body uh like you saw him put it it looked like mud to me but I guess it's like essential oils and herbs and things whatever that that treatment is there are it's available on the internet to purchase but some of like where it's made in like southeast asia and etc they found traces of lead and arsenic in it. So it's just going to make you sicker, not help you. Wow. But that's if you buy it off the internet from like a less than reputable source. If you go to India and you go to like a clinic, it might be not poisonous, but it may not do anything. It might just be like a neutral. Kind of, like We can get into it, but I, I texted you on um, Facebook. I messaged you when he goes to the Indian medical astrologer. And I'm like, this is really – I said, this is pissing me off. Yeah, cause... I was
1: wondering what part <laughs> you were watching when you said
0: that. <laughs> it was the Indian medical astrologer. Medical astrologer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know about astrology. I know I have a lot of people. I know a lot of people that really believe that. And um, I, to me, it's just kind of fun to read and to think about sometimes. But I don't make decisions based on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've it's seen it. it- I,
0: no, I get what you're saying. It It is fun. It's fun to have your zodiac sign and to... And to kind of like lean into that a little bit. And I think when I was really young and I was a kid, I was very interested in astrology and horoscopes and tarot and stuff. Cause I was like searching for uh, meaning and explanations of, of things. But then I realized that it's fantasy and you kind of just pull out what you put in and there's really, you, you know, it's not concrete and it, that's unsettling. It was a very, it was very unsettling to watch him go to India. I gotta say,
1: yeah, he seemed to. Um, it was uncomfortable because of how you know relieved he was over what the medical astrologer said. Because I'm thinking he just kind of. It seemed to me like he gave you positive news at the end because he didn't want to end it on a you know negative note.
0: Right. It seemed like he said, "Well, you're really sick, but I think you'll be okay." Uh, you don't have to pay a person to give you a half-assed answer. Yeah, non so non-committal. Well, maybe it'll be better. I think you will be. Okay. How much did that cost?
1: <laughs> I've seen. I've went to an acupuncturist one time. Um, someone suggested I was having like numbness in my. I was losing feeling in my arm, and I don't know if how much of it was. In my head, but it did seem to get better for a little while but I didn't do the follow-up treatments like he suggested and after a few days it started you know feeling bad again like it was before I went to see him but again like, you know, I feel a little I feel you know a little better after that one treatment I just didn't like having needles it was yeah you know, sticking needles into my feet kind of hurt and I was bleeding and whatever I just didn't want to go back to see him again.
0: So in this frontline documentary, they talk about a study that they did for acupuncture where the patients were, they didn't know if they were receiving actual acupuncture treatment as the needles were going into the skin or if they were, they had like um, pressure, like made you think it was a needle because they were like, uh, they had blindfolds on. So you just felt like a prick, but it was really just like the edge of like the container of the needle. uh, in any case, they just try to see, you know, if people who actually received treatment, if it, if they received the acupuncture treatment, the legit acupuncture, did that show sign, Did those patients show signs of improvement versus the people who reported they showed signs of improvement but they got the bogus one? And uh, I found the results online, and it's and this is the conclusion: acupuncture seems to provide improvement in function and pain relief as an adjunct injunctive therapy for osteoarthritis of the knee when compared with credible sham acupuncture and education control groups wow. so it seems like yes it it may have some benefit but and i know what you're saying about like the placebo effect and if if you think you're you're receiving some sort of treatment and that might have that might trick your brain into thinking like you're actually getting better or having relief yeah but that in in itself could be a legitimate kind of medicine right if 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 your brain is actually making you take feel better and the pain goes away is there benefit to that yeah for maybe but it doesn't treat the underlying causes of the disease like uh the acupuncture even if it doesn't like medically make andy Whitfield feel Uh, feel better and it's just his mind convincing himself that he doesn't have the pains that he has in his back or his, you know, in his joints, then, then that's, that's fine for the treatment of the pain, but it doesn't stop the cancer from just rotting away his organs and his insides.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad he didn't totally forego Western medicine in favor of these alternative treatments. That was... I mean, I didn't know a lot of, I didn't know anything, I guess, about how he was treated, so I was kind of afraid that he was gonna, you know, just not do any of the chemo and, you know, he would just slowly die over the course of the movie. Hmm. Yeah, I got really
0: panicked when I saw him do that. I was like, oh, so is this why he dies? Ah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Man, I don't know. I'm sure that everyone has been affected by cancer at some point, but it seems like. I don't know. It seems like the past couple of years has been like really, you know, a lot. It's like every time I turn around, like just like two or three, three days ago, a friend of mine passed away and in December, another person was diagnosed with colon cancer and like, well, haven't we figured this out yet? I don't know. It's Cause we don't know. <laughs> it's like Andy would say, we don't know what causes this. And it's kind of, you know, how do you fight it if you don't know what's causing it? So, you know, so. <laughs>
0: Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is the kind of cancer that he had, and uh, it was – during the course of the documentary, he – there there are moments where he looks like almost like an alien because he's lost so much weight. He's, like, so gaunt, and he has a bald head. And then, it, like, a couple of months later, he looks, like, almost back to normal. And he sort of seesaws between being very sickly-looking and then kind of
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I know there was a time where he was kind of kind of of looking up and his eyes were kind of closed. He looked like he was just kind of out of it. And I'm kind of glad we'll skip to the end. I'm kind of glad we Mm. didn't see those last few days.
0: Oh, me too. Yeah. Oh, that was, I, I was surprised actually that we didn't, but I'm okay with not seeing it. Yeah. We didn't go to the hospice, though. I don't understand like why he was in Australia and then he went to New Zealand and then got the and then his wife got the phone call that now he has to come back uh why did he go to new zealand like i didn't get all of that
1: was that when they moved because he couldn't use the stairs anymore but it doesn't make sense why they went to new zealand i i didn't get i didn't get that
0: but no he goes he comes back from new zealand and goes into hospice and then then he just dies we don't we don't see any anything more after he gets on that plane. Yeah.
1: Which I'm okay with. (laughs) So I guess this was originally released in June of 2015. Uh, I know it was at film festivals and it's directed by, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, but Lilibet Foster, who's done a lot of documentaries and well, I read that she's from the same town in Wales
0: as Andy Whitfield. Okay. Cause I, I was thinking of him as an Australian actor, but he's actually Welsh. Yeah. And so is his wife. though <laughs> they live in Sydney?
1: Yeah. Um, I think Sydney. Yes. I think, I think.
0: Certainly by the water. And they had this beautiful, like apartment that had a, uh, you open up the shutters at the breakfast table and you looked out over, like over the Harbor. It was like, Oh, that's gorgeous.
1: Yeah. was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, his children are adorable, but I was out throughout the documentary. I'm just saying, like, put some clothes on that girl, please. <laughs> 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 like, why is she naked all the time? Um, yeah, we start out like right after the cancer came back. After I think this was just a f- few months after they announced he was cancer free and he was going to be going back to do Spartacus. Hmm. And after the first time, they said it was 80% curable. Like, where do these numbers come from? (laughs) Well, it's got to be. I mean, they must. Yeah,
0: the percentage of people who receive that exact treatment that you're getting, 80% of them recovered. But he had some sort of like extra virulent kind of cancer that wasn't responding to the typical drugs,
1: I guess. Yeah, it's like. Your original lymphoma was shrinking; it's gone, but we found this other. That's got to be devastating. Let's get that news.
0: I was surprised that it happened over the phone both times. They got news. I I expected like you go into a doctor's office, or I, they just t- put on put you on speakerphone. Well, how's it how's it going? And then they did a little chit chat, and well, it's not good news. It spread, and then they just sort of sat there going, "Oh, okay, well, all right."
1: Yeah, is that that a thing in, I guess, other countries? They do that a little more. I don't know. I mean, if they're. I guess I've never gotten that kind of news. I don't know how they would do that here, how my doctor would do that. Mm, We should ask our friend, Dr. Moira. Yeah, yeah, let's let's call her up. Do do you
0: give bad news over the phone or do you always release results in, in the office? They probably want you to come into the office because then they can collect a copay. Because <laughs> that's another thing that like this documentary doesn't touch on because uh, I guess it's probably not a problem there. Uh, insurance. Like here in the United States, when you get sick, it's not just the disease you're battling. It's the financials. It's the insurance company. And what can you afford? And how often can you afford to go to the doctor? And when do you hit that cap? Or you know, is there a lifetime cap or yearly cap? And like, when do you when do you stop paying? You know, your the deductibles and the premiums until you you hit your your yearly cap, and then after that, you know, all the treatments are covered. Or what happens when your insurance policy just doesn't cover something, some test or some doctor that you want to see? Like, oh, you should go to see the the best uh, oncologist. In your area, oh, but they don't take your insurance, or they don't take yeah. insurance, or your insurance flakes, and that they're not gonna reimburse you for something uh, because you never know here how much you you have to pay.
1: Yeah, That's- I was thinking that watching this, like he must be eating through, you know, a lot of their finances. But then I remember, like, wait, they probably don't have to pay as much as we would here.
0: Yeah, not only do we have to pay, but we never know how much anything costs until after the fact. Yeah. You can't go in – like uh, there was a um, – I think it was like five or five to ten minute video online of this guy whose wife is pregnant and he wants to know how much is it going to cost him just for her to give birth at the hospital. So he he just wants to know. Like at the end of the day, he's going to be happy that he has a ha- happy, healthy baby. But he's curious. He wants to know before it happens, what am I going to pay? No one could tell him. He's calling the hospital. He's calling the insurance company. He's speaking to all sorts of people. No one can give him an answer. They give him maybe a ballpark figure. Finally, after like months of trying to get the information, and it's not correct. It's like too low. He ends up paying more. But that's a problem. How often do you buy something without knowing the price of it? Yeah. And that's the problem with our health. One of the problems with our healthcare
1: system. No, this I understand country, and that there are things you can't foresee, but you should at least be able to get a estimate. Like I mean, a high end. I don't know.
0: It's just something that just it. You don't see that in this this documentary because they are they're in Australia. So I mean, there might be some element where you have to negotiate some sort of cost. I don't know. Uh, not familiar with that healthcare system. But definitely if this was taking place in in the United States, you would have a lot of conversations about money, how it's affecting your, you know, your savings, your retirement savings, anything you've put away. Like here somebody might leave their apartment and move or sell their house and move to some smaller house or whatever because they just can't afford where they were living because all their money is going to medical care. But it just doesn't happen. It's just not in this documentary.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I know even there are times where I've been sick and, yeah, we do have to, you know, a doctor says, I want to get this kind of exam and this kind of, you know, and I'm like, yeah, so Yeah, how much is that going to cost? <laughs> because I don't know if I could pay all of that. Yeah. This, that's usually like the first thing in my mind when they're like saying they want to do stuff that, you know, maybe I've never had done before. Okay, how much is this going to cost?
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah. But it was kind of an up and down watching the movie because you know they get this news from the doctor and they're um, they're happy or they're optimistic, and then something devastating would happen. Yeah,
0: I was surprised that the mom and the dad weren't there the entire time. Like I don't know what they're what they're doing back in Wales, but I mean, my kid is battling cancer. I feel like I'd pretty much want to move to where he is
1: or have him come to me. Yeah. I know it's kind of hard though, to kind of pick up and move though, especially if you've been living somewhere all your life, but I don't know. The mother was there for four months at one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't know if her, his parents are still together or not. They didn't really say that. So maybe one was,
0: Um, I don't know. I thought they, I thought, I I thought they implied that, they were separated. Okay. And then, then, then the grandfather came because they'd been apart for so long or something. Okay. I don't, I can't recall. It's, it was interesting how he was telling his children that he, there's something wrong with his blood. Like they didn't get into saying cancer. Like with kids that young, how do you, how do you prepare them for your, for your death? Or like, uh, it's awful. What a, what a difficult situation that is. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I guess, um, I'm 39 years old, I guess I didn't ever, until this movie, I didn't really fully understand what chemo was. I guess when I think of chemo, I think of the radiation therapy, but that's only a part of it. Like, I didn't realize they gave you drugs that could fight the cancer. I mean, I've seen mm. people hooked up to IVs before, but I guess I thought that's something they did while they were getting ready for the um, radiation therapy.
0: Yeah, until you go through it, I don't think you really dig into the the nitty gritty of like what every every procedure uh, encompasses. But it it sounded like he was going that they were going to take stem cells, healthy stem cells from him, then basically you know attack the disease aggressively with chemotherapy, and then put his stem like healthy stem cells back into his body to repair the damage that the chemotherapy did as it as the chemotherapy try to kill the disease it also kills the body so but then afterward after the chemotherapy then then they talked about taking the stem cells and i thought that was i thought they were going to do that ahead of the chemotherapy
1: yeah, to um yeah i'm just i wrote down like they were saying the first time around they were saying 80% curable the second time around they're like oh it's only 25% people make it but these are just statistics, I guess. But I know sometimes you these statistics that doctors give. They're kind of, I guess they don't mean anything.
0: I It's difficult because how transparent do you want to be with your patient? You want to give them all the information and be completely transparent and blunt and then say, well, you've got a very low chance of surviving. If part of the survival is like the sort of mental fortitude it takes to get through it through the treatments. You can't just be so blunt as to say it's well, it's probably not going to happen because then that will be almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're not going to pull through. So I think you have to kind of couch it a little bit and and kind of make up statistics.
1: I don't know. There's a book I read, I guess a couple years ago or maybe it was last year and no, it was Two years ago, When Breath Becomes Air. It's about a doctor who um is diagnosed with cancer. He's an I think he's an oncologist, so he's kind of on the other side of the, you know, table this time and he writes the book up until he dies, and then his wife finishes the book. But this is kind of
0: uh but, oh. before he goes to India, he and his wife have this conversation that's it was kind of a circular conversation where it was kind of difficult to get at, like, the crux of what they were each telling each other. But it, he was kind of asking in a very roundabout way for permission to seek alternative treatments. Yeah. And she was trying to be supportive. But I kind of got the feeling it wasn't really explicitly said. It was a very confusing conversation. but. I think what she was feeling in that moment was I want to support you, but I think this is a bad idea or I want to support you and I hope it works. But if it doesn't, I'm going to blame you. And I don't think she means like I'm going to blame you like uh, intentionally. Like It's almost like she kind of like knows like if you don't pull through this, I'm going to be upset with you. And I know that I shouldn't be, but I'm going to be. It's going to be like an irrational reaction to – to you going to India for this. So be very certain you want to do this, because it's it could it could ruin our lives.
1: Yeah, I don't know if she would have been upset with him, but she would have blamed it on waiting and not, you know, taking the time to go do this alternative treatment when could have, you know, started the chemotherapy sooner.
0: Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made. If I don't know, because I don't know how long he was there. It could have been a week. It could have been two weeks. It could have been a month. I don't don't know how long it delayed and if that really made a difference. But I just got the sense that she was – and she seemed like a pretty um, new-agey kind of person.
1: Yeah, I thought she said right before that conversation that she believed in alternative medicine. But then she was kind of like reluctant on, you know, spending time – pursuing this treatment when they could be doing chemotherapy.
0: I I think she was just kind of caught and thought whatever decision they make, she's going to blame herself and she's going to blame him for making the wrong decision. Now, skipping ahead to the end of the documentary, it didn't seem like she had any blame or any regrets at all. Like, it seemed like they kind of just made peace with it. But in that moment, she was like, I don't know what to do everything seems like the wrong answer, but standing still is wrong. So what do I do? Nothing? Everything? She didn't know. That's, I mean, that's part of the stress of the, the situation.
1: Yeah, there was one point where they kind of, the doctor told them that the radiation therapy is not going to do any good. And it's, you know, you have this option to not do anything, but he kind of wanted to keep going. It's just kind of a, I don't know what I would do this the you know the treatments aren't gonna work, but do you just do you just give um, you know stop being treated for it or do you just, he felt that he should do everything he can for his children
0: yeah, I mean that's part of it you know you fight it for them. what did he want to do if he didn't have kids would yeah, he or, just i have a feeling he
1: wouldn't he would have stopped a lot sooner, yeah, or if they were old enough to understand maybe he would have stopped sooner I would have i I think at a certain
0: point it's pretty much like the writing's on the wall you you've done what you can do like the cancer is having its way with you like you can't how many cock, drug cocktails and trips to the doctor and and the and and all of the radiation and uh, how many times do you get the same news like it's not going away and then eventually it's like it's it's spread you despite everything it's spread it's it's like time's up Like, you know, at that point, don't you, you have to just admit at that point that there's no path forward. It's, it's done. Like, let's go on a trip (laughs) or take me somewhere. I would like to go to like a cabin by a lake or something like in the woods and just sort of like have like a great meal if I could keep it down, like be out on the water a little bit and then put some, uh, put some drugs in me and let me go to sleep, you know. Like that would be like rather that than a hospice bed, I, I would I'd, I'd want to be uh, kind of like in nature, I guess, by the water in the trees, so breathing the fresh air. I think that'd be a a pretty way to go. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't have, but see, he didn't have that option because he had the kids, so he has to he has to battle it for them. And that's sad. Don't have kids, I guess, is the moral <laughs> of the story.
1: Um. It was interesting seeing him and Chai Courtney. <laughs> like, I didn't know that he had actually auditioned for something when he was. I guess that was wasn't public. Mm-hmm. He was ongoing treatment.
0: Yeah, I liked seeing Chai Courtney. I was surprised by the lack of like Spartacus stuff in this. Like it, it they they showed the footage at the beginning, but um, some behind the scenes footage but I don't know. I thought I'd hear more like from cast members and things. I thought I'd hear a little bit more about how his illness was affecting the show, but I know that's not really the point of the documentary. So,
1: but I was still curious
0: nonetheless, because we are here because of, of the show.
1: Yeah. It was really kind of, touching at the end all the be here nows like I want to get a be here now tattoo now if you're watching that
0: Mm. Uh, I mean um, (laughs) I guess the message is yes to, to live in the present and not take things for granted but I feel like a lot of people are not in the position to do that the daily grind of paying your bills and going to, to work is it could, if you're a very privileged person, if you could just say live in, just do whatever you know you want to do and, and live in the now and, and be adventurous. Well, that's what people who without responsibilities would say. Uh,
1: yeah. You're making me think of somebody who <laughs> just gets my nervous with all of that. It's like, Oh, I don't believe in working. I don't believe in having a job. I just do what I wanna do and blah blah blah. and he's like a million dollars in debt, but <laughs> he doesn't work. He just gotta does whatever he wants to do. Ugh. um, so <laughs>
0: it's not me, not
1: me. So reading this interview with um his wife, I guess when the movie released um you know. She was just saying that, you know, talking about dating and how she has to be careful in bringing other men into her life with her kids still being pretty young. The be here now message is kind of the antithesis of that
0: Christian message, not of this world. I'm sure you've seen the NOTWs on like the backs of like SUVs and stuff.
1: Oh, is that what that means? <laughs> not,
0: yeah, it's not of this world. It's a, it's a Christian thing. They're, they're basically saying that eh, your earthly life is just temporary. You're gonna go to the, up to heaven, <laughs> it's, and be here now is like the opposite. It's like live in the now. <laughs> so, be more of this world. They're kind of at, a, they're kind of opposed. I think.
1: I don't know if they were religious people, but you tell. I mean, you still tell children that you know somebody's going to heaven, right? Instead of just saying that, oh, he's. <laughs> I guess maybe we should get into that debate now. <laughs> <of> just like, <laughs> oh, I'm dying, and that's all there is. And-
0: I'm a very pragmatic person, so I will try anything that is scientifically proven to work, or like, give me the success, the odds of success. And then if I hit the hit a certain point, I'm not going to keep going foolishly. It, it really bothered me, this conversation they had at the very end of the movie where they got the, the call from the doctor or whoever it was at the radiology clinic. And uh, the woman was like, yeah, it spread. And uh, the wife says, remember when you were on set, you would just be like, or whatever she said he did. Yeah. She's like I need you to be right now and fight this. It's like no, it it's not happening. Like it it's very clearly not going to work. That would it would people who are relentlessly positive in the face of like all evidence to the contrary really piss me off. Yeah. It's like I need um, you to be practical. <laughs> yes.
1: I'm a realist. I get accused sometimes of being uh, you know, negative, but, but that's usually from people who are just relentlessly positive about everything.
0: Yeah, I get you. I don't know if I'm. I think I've been accused of being cynical or or negative, but I'm not. I'm I'm really just a realist. At, at a certain point, like all the positivity in the world's not going to make this disease go away when it is spreading. Like they've done everything, it's still spreading. It's time's up. That doesn't mean. Be so negative that you just cry all the time, but start making a plan. You have to make a plan.
1: Yeah. Figure out what you want to do at the time you have left. Don't, yeah. You know, I can see myself going to Australia or something. <laughs> so mm. I've never been. Yeah.
0: At that point, if you have any money left.
1: <laughs> yeah. If the doctors haven't taken all your money.
0: <laughs> um, yeah if you have any money left and, and you're well enough that you can can travel like if the pain isn't so much that you can't walk or the you know you you can last a plane ride then i mean i would go to south america i would go maybe new zealand i've been to australia i don't think i need to go back, but <laughs> i would go somewhere i would not go to india i have no desire to go to india
1: you know i don't either. <laughs>
0: It's nothing against Indian people. Uh, I, I think actually the, the culture, the color,
1: the the music, the
0: food, like it, it's all very appealing, but there's too many people. It's too crowded and noisy. Like I can't be around that much activity. That makes me uncomfortable. I like quiet. And I you like should, no people. <laughs> For no people Oregon over people.
1: <laughs> come to Oregon and find a cabin out by the lake
0: what I want. I should be a hermit in the cabin. Uh, i could to Ireland. If I'm dying, I'm going to Ireland, maybe. You yeah, know, we'll see. I just
1: wanted to go to Scotland. Oh
0: well. There's a lot of places I would go before I went to India where it's very loud, and there's lots of people.
1: <laughs> I have an astro- oh, astrologist question mark. I guess I wasn't sure if he was an astrologist. I didn't hear what they said. <laughs> he was, but he was oh, talking yes. about stars. <laughs> I figured you are an astrologist. Uh, this, <laughs> uh, it's not funny, but it's just this doesn't look very good, but I think you'll pull through. <laughs> I wanted to say, oh, if you can get past the two year point, you'll be okay.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh.
1: Oh, his boner. <laughs> his oh, boner. yeah, that
0: was very funny. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. That was funny. Uh, I liked his geeky glasses he would wear sometimes. Oh, those glasses are
1: awesome. (laughs) I don't know if his vision was being affected by this in any way or not, but yeah, those were cool glasses. Mm.
0: There was a merry-go-round in India where it looked like the the woman who was at the center of the merry-go-round, like the statue was giving the finger to the kids. (laughs) And that was pretty funny. That's one of my notes. Um, Then I wrote, mud on the forehead does what? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Question mark <laughs> He joined a support group It to be interesting
0: I mean of course he felt temporarily better He He basically ran away from his problems And went on vacation Like everything looks better when you're not Confronted with the drudgery of You know of going to the doctor all the time It's something new it seems promising But Just because you feel better Doesn't mean that the disease inside isn't killing you
1: I'm just looking at notes, see if there's anything he missed.
0: What'd you think of his blonde hair when he, they show, showing his modeling oh, photos was, or... <laughs> This
1: is early acting days and modeling days. The Molly was cute. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe embarrassing now. <laughs> oh, he probably doesn't mind.
0: I was not a fan of the blonde haired Tarzan look. <laughs> I thought that looks weird.
1: They say he was the most used model in Australia for a while. Well, because he was all over TV then. Mm
0: hmm. Oh, I guess. Hmm. We didn't really get a follow up to to like what the kids are up now. Like, when did this come out? 2000. But I think,
1: think it's when it was
0: finished or originally released. Uh, I would have liked some sort of like addendum to this. Like since the documentary was released, we've we've gone back and updated it, and and the kids have seen it now or something. Like I, I'm I'm curious how how are they doing right now? It leaves them
1: in such a good place the
0: with the butterflies and stuff.
1: Said that she hadn't shown it to the kids yet because she doesn't want them to remember him that way right now, or think of him that way right now. But it did say that, you know, when the, you know, she (laughs) said that when she, you know, they meet, you know, someone she's dating or when they're around kids with their parents, they kind of ask, you know, when are we getting another daddy, which kind of made me sad, but you know, they're just children. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. That's tough. I mean, if, if you're a, a parent, you want your family to not suffer, and you want them to, to heal and move on. Also, you don't want them to forget you. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, like, oh, I don't want them to get over me that easily. I want them to suffer a little bit. I want them to be a little bit sad. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I don't want them to be like who? It looks like he had a nice family. Yeah. His um, parents and children... Yeah, it's just it's all. I mean, it's very sad. We knew it would be. Um, I, I think that's part of the reason why <laughs> I wasn't in any rush to do a new episode because we had promised we would watch this next. But but it's a really good documentary. I would say it's worth it's worth watching once. <laughs> I don't know if it's anything I'll ever want to see again.
0: Oh no, definitely not. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I didn't buy, I didn't think to check feedback. I don't, huh. I don't know how to do that anymore. <laughs> the, his hair loss
0: made me queasy. Something about when he was getting shaved uh, and he's like, and his hair was falling off, like my
1: stomach like
0: turned over. Something about the hair loss just made me like. Yeah,
1: oh, his it, face, I and mean, he's kind of had a, that vein.
0: I think it's because it's like you literally your body is literally falling apart in front of you. It is. It's shedding itself in front of you. That's, it, that's, it was really distressing for me to watch that part. I, but I always have a problem with like, uh, when people are bleeding too. Something about blood leaving the body, fluids, any kind of, any kind of fluid or hair leaving the body, like, it creeps me out. I would, I could, I would not make a good doctor.
1: <laughs>
0: not, not that kind of doctor. I'd have to be like a research scientist kind of doctor in the lab. <laughs> hmm.
1: Uh, no feedback. Um, wow. Well,
0: my cat was being very sweet when I was watching it. He crawled up on the couch and sat next to me. Maybe he sensed that I was in distress,
1: <laughs>
0: but probably not.
1: My dog kept wanting to go outside, so <laughs> I did let him out at one point.
0: Also, when, when we were recording this, my cat got on the pub table that I don't want him on and uh, I muted my microphone so that I could throw a marker at him <laughs> but you but in, in my experience muting the microphone doesn't always prevent the Skype from detecting uh, noise so when you're edit- editing this or anyone listening back to this you might hear a giant bang at some point because he it scared the shit out of him and he,
1: <laughs> I didn't ran away. but that
0: was the point I, I didn't want him up there anyway
1: Oh, I got in trouble. Well, I may have gotten in trouble. Anyway, that's that's something. About muting a microphone, but, you know, my words were still recorded, and I didn't realize this was happening until later, so I probably said some not-so-nice things on a podcast about someone who wouldn't stop talking, and that's probably (laughs) made it onto the podcast, but nobody ever said anything, so I don't know. I love it. I love it. Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) I muted my bike, so I didn't think it would make it onto the recording, yeah, but it did. Um, Reminds me of
0: the Twin Peaks podcast when... I, I, I'm sure Stephanie's not going to ever listen to this, but when she was on the podcast, Brad had to pretend to have a power outage just so that he could t- hang up on Skype and not listen to her for like 20 or 30 minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, All right. Well, that was Be Here Now. Um, <sighs> if you have any comments or questions send them to mail at spartacast.com and we'll be starting season two next time which is called vengeance i think yeah
0: season two season three maybe depending on how you look at it yeah so it's been so long since we've watched like legit spartacus like the prequel season was fine but where where we left off with Andy Whitfield, like when was that? It feels so long ago.
1: That was probably close to a year ago.
0: And I'm ready for uh, Liam McIntyre. Like I'm I'm not going to hold anything against him or be uh, sort of anti him or 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 judge him against Andy Whitfield. Like I'm I'm fine with with him. I guess because I know that he's kind of a geeky person too because he. I've seen interviews with him, and um, he was one of the voice actors in Gears of War four. So I know he's kind of a geeky person. No, so yeah, it's already endeared was... it's already endeared me toward him.
1: Yeah, he um, made his own board game, which I still haven't played yet. But see, that's pretty nerdy. <laughs> <So. laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we'll talk to you all last uh, next time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I wish I could say it was fun, but it wasn't that fun.
1: (laughs) Bye. Bye.